This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 642. And the quote of the day is, The man who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 642, and I don't know where December came from. I don't, I don't know how this whole year is almost over already, and I mentioned it in the newsletter that I send out on Fridays. If you don't get the newsletter, you can just go to drummersresource.com. You can, you can sign up for it. I send out a short wrap-up email of, of the guests who we had on who's coming next week, and then some industry news and some stuff that's going on in the music biz. Anyway, but I wrote about in there just about the year ending and what plans are for 2022. And I'm not big on New Year's resolutions and things like that, but I was thinking, hmm, I wonder what everyone's planning on for 2022 because I feel like there's a lot of sort of pent up energy because of because of COVID and all that. But I also think that there's been a lot of time for people to reflect on what they really want. And and I think that going into a new year is a good time to have a fresh start. So if you got some big plans coming up for 2022 or small plans, whatever they are, let me know. I'm always interested to, to know the thought process behind it and, uh, and and what you're planning to do. So shoot me an email or, or hit me up on social or something like that. You can email me, nick at drummersresource.com. Speaking of that, uh, there's some things that I want to change with Drummers Resource going into 2022. I was back looking through the website, just working on some stuff and fixing some things and just kind of going back through old episodes. And and I came across the Antonio Sanchez episode, which was way back in October 4th of 2015. And it was like episode 131 or something like that. And I just hit play on the episode and I listened to the whole thing. And I, not that I forgot how great the episode was, but it just totally refreshed everything for me. And I thought I got to re-release this thing. It's buried down there. It's episode 131. I mean, that's, you know, it was seven years ago or something. So uh, this is re-releasing this episode with Antonio Sanchez. We talk about everything from his musical journey, starting in Mexico City and collaborating with all these jazz luminaries and approaches to playing melodically and and the Birdman soundtrack and all that. It's just, it's an amazing episode and he has so much wisdom and so much knowledge that I had to re-release it. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the always amazing Antonio Sanchez. Antonio, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure, man. Absolutely. So I, I told you off air, I've been, I've definitely been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while, and I get inundated with emails uh, about getting you on the podcast as well. So it's a pleasure to have you, and I thank you for, for taking your time out of your busy schedule to, to sit and chat with me today, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, man, thank you. I was looking forward to it, you know. Um, heard a lot about the podcast and 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 I'm gonna have to check it out. And I'm 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 ashamed to say that I I haven't, but but I will, of course. Hey, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of material out there to check out, and I think everybody's sort of overwhelmed with how much how yes. much stuff is out there. So I'm <laughs> thankful for, for if one person listens to the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, check it out at at your leisure and let me know what you think of it. The good one would be would be to check out the uh, the Antonio Sanchez podcast. I think that's gonna I think <laughs> that that's is, gonna be a good one. Probably that's the only one I won't check. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
There's nothing more self-serving and annoying than sitting around listening to yourself talk all day. Yeah, and so. I just did a a, a a a clinic tour with Yamaha, like for you know ten days. So I'm really tired of hearing myself talking. Right. Sure. <laughs> All right. You all make an exception. I appreciate it. And I know the listeners do as well. So for the listeners that are out there who don't know who you are, first of all, they should they should be ashamed of themselves for not knowing who you are. But just tell tell everybody a little bit about who you are, uh, where you come from and, and what you do. Well, uh, we started right from the beginning. I'm uh, I'm originally from Mexico City. I was born and raised there. I started um, playing drums when I was five. And um, some of my early influences were basically the, the the bands that my mother used to listen to. I mean, she still listens to them. My mom, my mom, she's a rocker at heart. She's from the Woodstock generation, so a lot of uh, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Santana, Jimi Hendrix, The Who, you know, all these great bands. Those were the first bands I ever listened to, and and those were my first musical. Um, inklings you know trying to play along to to some of those albums and then little by little i discovered you know other bands like led zeppelin rush the police of course you know bands that that any drummer gravitates to at some point and um and then from there i i started getting really interested in in uh in jazz because i i was in the conservatory uh in mexico studying classical piano uh, as well, you know, I was always practicing drums and playing drums, but I got myself into really trying to study uh, classical piano as best as I could. I was taking it really seriously, but they they had um, an ongoing jazz workshop there, and I used to go and hang out with uh, people and listen to the big band and small combos, and I started getting interested in that, and little by little, you know, I, I started playing some uh, jazz, some Latin jazz. Then I moved to uh, Boston in 1993 to go to Berklee College of Music to study jazz uh, uh, performance. And I've, I've always been composing and arranging and, and playing with a bunch of different bands. And uh, after I was done with Berklee in 1997, I started playing with uh, Paquito de Rivera, with Danilo Perez, with David Sanchez, who was my uh, mostly Latin jazz or like Danilo used to call it jazz Latin because it, it was mostly jazz with, with an with a Latin tinge. And then uh after that I I met Pat Metheny and then I started working with him in two thousand. And um uh, I've been working with him for fifteen years and since then I've worked with uh Chikoria, Michael Brecker, Gary Burton, Charlie Hayden, Tutu Tillmans, Joshua Redman, Patty Tucci, uh, I don't know, a bunch of people. And then the last thing uh, I've done that, you know, people have been talking about mostly for the last few months is uh, the, the Birdman soundtrack that got the Academy Award for Best Movie, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. So that's pretty cool to be in there. Which is awesome. And, you know, before I, before every guest I have, I obviously do more research on them to make sure that I understand the breadth of, of their work. And the one thing that amazed me, I've already, I've known, you know, that you've been playing with Pat and, and all these other people. But then I started really doing some research on you. I was like, man, 
I didn't know he did this and then did this and did this. it's just and so congratulations to you on on a story career so far and I know you have so many more things that are gonna happen in the future but man you have you have amassed uh, quite the resume over the years man which is very impressive oh thank you man and and you know lately what I've been trying to do is uh, step into the band leading arena and uh, I have five records under my own name and uh, and that's what I've been doing for the last um, year. Just my band. Uh, since we stopped uh, touring with Pat last year, I've been just concentrating on my band. I put out two two new records almost simultaneously as Birdman came out. So that kind of helped me to to push a little more even and and start uh, going out with my band and, and tour a bunch. So mm-hmm. it's been great so far. That's awesome, and I know that with the with the Burman stuff that there was there was some controversy uh, that was going on. And I, it was sort of like running around on the on the internet with the with the mm-hmm. soundtrack and and things like that. Can you talk about what happened with that? Yeah, um, what happened is, you know, I and this is funny because the day the score got nominated for for the Golden Globe, we got a letter from the Academy. Um, of arts and sciences, AKA the Oscars saying that we were ineligible because they thought there was more pre-recorded music than original music. And it's supposed to be more than 50% original music versus the, the um, uh, incidental music. So that sounded really weird to us. We did a recount and we came out winning by a lot. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, well, it's just just a technicality. So we're just going to appeal it, and then it's going to be fine. So that's what we did. And then they came back with another reason, saying that uh, the original score was too diluted by the incidental music. So in the beginning, it was a technicality. And then when the technicality, the technicality was resolved, then they decided it was something else. So the whole thing was uh, pretty sketchy to me. Wow. Uh, but... To be honest, it I think it helped more than it hurt because uh, one trend that I noticed in all the award uh, season circuit thing that I did, which you know was completely foreign to me. You know, as a jazz musician, you are in the least glamorous, you know, part of of the music industry nowadays. Right. And all of a sudden, I'm in Hollywood and red carpets and stuff. So it, it was like completely bizarre, a very bizarre experience. It was cool. Uh, but what I started noticing was that the score would get nominated a lot, but when it was time to actually award it, uh, it would, they were like, oh, yeah, it's really cool to nominate it because it's so different and, and so risky. But uh, I don't think we're going to actually award it. Let's award it to, let's award the, the thing to, you know, the orchestral, same status quo stuff that is right. always happening in Hollywood, you know, except for a couple. Uh, awards that 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 they actually gave me, but I noticed that was the trend. Yeah. So I love the fact that you can take something like that and you say, you know what, this is a negative, but I'm going to look at the the positive side of things. And hey, man, you got to, you know, you got nominated, like you said, you went to Hollywood, you did all of that stuff too. Which, hey, to me is is a positive. So you got to look oh, at yeah. the, the no, positives and, and, out of that. And actually, you know, it was I think it's a blessing in disguise because I don't think the score would have won even if it would have gotten nominated for the right. Oscars. But the controversy just completely catapulted it to a compl- uh, different category. Right. So more people were talking about it because it got disqualified than probably they would have talked about because it would have gotten nominated. Sure, sure. That's interesting. 
Yeah. So what what it you know part of the podcast that I like to talk about is some failures that people go through and things that people struggle with and not necessarily that this was a failure but I'm sure that it was kind of you know a kick to the stomach saying oh man you know they're going to disqualify this thing so what advice do you have for people that that have certain things that they may stumble or they may fall how they can sort of recover from that and and stay on that path of being positive and and looking at the positives of it yeah, I mean, I, I tend to get really down when when bad stuff happens. You know, it's normal. Uh, but you know, I think if you let it breathe, you let it rest for a little bit, you usually find some kind of silver lining. Mm-hmm. the The important thing is to not completely veer away from what you were doing. You know, and 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 just try to take whatever it is that you were able to learn and then apply it to the next thing. You know, I mean, to me, that kind of setback was very relative because to begin with, to award or reward art, it's so subjective and relative. You know, it's like if you go to a drum competition and you don't win, you know, maybe you're a jazz guy and the guy who won was a rock guy, you know, so it's mm-hmm. completely subjective. Right. If uh, if we all played the same uh, repertoire and and that's what we were being uh, graded on. Then it would be different. But if anybody can play an open drum solo, and you know, it's just you know too too wide uh, in order for you to to be able to actually judge it in an objective uh, way. So it, we have to keep that in mind always. Mm-hmm. That that art com- art competitions are completely subjective. So. Right. You cannot get too encouraged by it or too discouraged by it. Mm-hmm. And you always get the, you know, the the question of, oh, who's the best drummer in the world? It's like there's not, there's no way that anyone can ever answer that question. So, like you said, the competition within art, you know, if you look at sports, you can tell who the greatest basketball player was or who the greatest baseball player was by the numbers. Yeah, exactly. But looking at looking at art, it's so hard that that you do got to keep that open mind of saying, okay, well. They may think that this drum solo was the best, but somebody else may may not think the same way, you know. Yeah, but of course, you know, it's it's hard when you're young and you're um, impressionable and you're insecure about your abilities. Mm-hmm. That's that's very uh, common, you know. Right. That you might might think as well, you know, people are not digging me. People and and the thing is, music is so personal that when they don't dig your music or don't dig, dig your playing, you feel like they don't dig you as a person. Right. You know, which is also not true, but it's hard to think that way. So, uh, you know, it's easier to develop a thicker skin once you've achieved some things in your career, of course. Sure. Uh, in the beginning, any kind of rejection, uh, you, you don't take it well. And and that's normal. But all, all I can say is, man, just, just be patient and keep at it. It's part of paying your dues, man. We've all been there and been all, you know gotten yelled at and, and walked off stage with our tail between our legs or, or, you know, played and somebody kind of looked at it and said, Hey man, that's, that's not happening. You better go back to the, better go back to the woodshed and, and work on that or whatever the case may be. But that's, that's all part of this journey. You know, that's, that's, that's what we're here for. And those experiences are usually the, the more useful ones. If everything you do goes amazingly well, you know, that, that's, right. that's, not so great, actually. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to 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 trip and stumble and and uh, and so so that you know that there's more stuff that you can work towards. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Speaking of of stumbling and and 
struggling with with certain things. What are some things that you struggle with maybe in your in your playing or or just daily because I know it's easy for you know for the listeners to look at somebody like you. You've been on the cover of Modern Drummer twice. You've won Grammy awards. You've done all of these things and they say, "Yo, well, of course, you know, he's not he doesn't struggle with anything cuz he's Antonio Sanchez, but everybody struggles with things uh, you know, inside of their playing or or inside of maybe some of their daily habits and and things like that." So, what are some things that that you're sort of working on now and trying to work out the kinks of? Uh, well, I, I always strive to be a better musician. You know, I mean, uh, it's funny because I, like I was telling you, I just did this, um, Yamaha clinic tour. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first thing I always ask in clinics is how many drummers do we have in the house? You know, and usually 90% of the people raise their hand. And then I said, okay, and now how many real musicians do we have in the house? And they, they start laughing and only like, you know, a, a, a fourth of the people raise their hands. Right. So. I usually go like, okay, see, that's the problem that drummers a lot of times don't consider themselves musicians. And a lot of people don't consider drummers musicians. Right. Why? Because a lot of times we don't know music. We know drums, but we don't know music. So uh, one thing I, I'm always striving for is to be a better musician, to understand music as a whole better so that I can interpret it better uh, and I can really get inside. You know, when you only know so much, then you're only going to be able to interpret music and perform it at a more shallow level. You want to get, uh, music is like an onion. You know, the deeper you get, the more uh, layers you start peeling, the, the better you're going to sound. Mm -hmm. you know? so, so that's one thing I'm always striving for. It's like an actor that really has to understand his, his character. Right. You know, how, how can I make this character the best I can for this particular project or recording or, or whatever, you know, you, you have to be wearing a bunch of different hats as well. Sure. So now I'd like to unpack that just a little bit about really understanding music more and working on your musicality and, you know, obviously listening to, to more music is something that you can do. And I know that you, you know, you play piano. What do you, would you play other instruments as well? Uh, no, I mean, I, play, I dabbled on percussion a little bit, but um, piano was always uh, the, the king for me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's another thing I, I always tell people, you know, other drummers, that if there's one instrument they're going to pick to complete their musical uh, roundness and, and education, I think piano should definitely be, be the one. Yeah, yeah I agree. If, so if drummers out there who don't play piano what are some ways some other ways that you suggest that they sort of work on their musicality the, the, and the reason why i'm asking the reason why i want to dig down so far is because i'm all about i'm all about the how and not necessarily the what so if we're talking about you know practicing i'm not i'm less interested in knowing the things that you practice but more the systematic ways behind the way that you practice so that people can get the most the most out of their practice time or if they're working on their musicality how they can get the most out of the time that they're putting into that yeah i you know the, practicing is such a a, a deep question and uh, usually when i do clinics that's what i tell people you know i think drummers tend to practice a lot of really cool fancy stuff that ends up being a little useless. Right. You know, so I've had kids come up to me like, oh man, 
have you checked out such and such um, method where you play, you know, in 17 with one hand and then in 15 with the other one, and then you play the, the left foot clave, and then you play a, like a samba pattern on the bass drum, and then you sing <laughs> happy birthday at a different tempo. I do that. I do that in my gig. All the, that's like, that's my thing. That's my exactly. shit. So, so I, I, I always say to that, okay, so how are you going to play that later tonight in your little gig in, in that restaurant where you play? Right, right. You know, or your rock band or whatever. So my, my first piece of advice to, to those guys is like, okay, if you are, let's say I, I'm a jazz musician, right? I consider myself a jazz musician. So as a jazz musician, what do I need to know? What are the things, the basic things that I cannot do without? And those are, I have to know material. I have to know standards. Mm -hmm. I, I should know the melodies of the standards because that will help you know the form of the standards. You should be very familiar with the form. Uh, you should be able to solo over the form. You should be able to sing the form. You should be able to solo while you sing the form. You mm -hmm. should be able to sing the form and solo something else besides the melody. Uh, you should be able to uh, trade choruses. You should be able to trade uh, fours, eights, sixteens. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you should be able to solo over a vamp. You know, so those are basic things that you, if you're a jazz musician, you cannot not know. Right. You, know, you just have to know them. Mm -hmm. So why waste time practicing a bunch of, uh, you know, completely untangible stuff that you can't really apply. Why can you set the metronome, you know, and start doing all the things you are, right? You, you start singing all the things you are while you have the metronome in two and four and you are singing the melody, you're hearing the harmony. I think one of the best sources to go to for standards is Frank Sinatra, you know, that mm -hmm. guy sing them. So uh, if you learn standards that way, it's great instead of learning it, you know, through... I don't know, through, through instrumentalists that only play the melody, don't sing it, obviously. Right, right. So that, that is really helpful. And uh, so what I say is try to practice everything you do in a musical way so that it's already, you're already thinking about music. You're not thinking drums. You're right. thinking about music. You're thinking about tempo. You're thinking about feel. You're thinking about touch. You're thinking about sound. Uh, all those things that you are actually going to have to apply, you know, at, sure. at your gig. Um, so I think a lot of kids that, that practice, you know, seven, eight hours a day to, to do all this amazingly complex things, then they sound like crap on the gig because right. they, they only know how to do that by themselves. And then when, uh, you, uh, put a band in front of them, they just don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So, and um, it's a topic that comes up a lot on the podcast too, is that, you know, some of the cats out there, the facility is amazing. You know, like some of the stuff that they're doing is just insane, but, you know, at the same time, how you can't use it on the gig. And it's, it's so sensationalized on YouTube that there has to, you know, that's why I always try to like, okay, that stuff's out there, but let's talk about your employable skills and the stuff that that's really going to help you get the gig or keep the gig or make you sound good at the gig, you know? Right. And, and that's another thing that I, I, I tell kids at my clinics, you know, like, okay. So sometimes I go to see drummers. I'm not going to mention names, but I've seen clinics where the first minute I go like, oh my God, this guy is the best thing that ever happened to mankind. And I'm going to burn my drums as soon as I get home. 
And then after five minutes, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is so annoying. I'm going to burn his drums the first minute I can, you know, uh, because there's just no musicality. There's no storytelling and right. it's just regurgitating fancy licks that, that he's been practicing for years and years. Right, right. And, and believe me, I'm totally for technique. I'm not against technique one bit because technique is what you will need in order for you to express your musical ideas. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, as much against people that use technique just for the sake of technique and flashiness. And I'm also really against people with no technique that they say, oh, I'm just going to play super musical. Right, you know? right. But they say that because they can't play anything else. You know, you, they cannot play fast or they cannot play a, uh, you know, a fast uh, roll over, over the top, you know, which you should also be able to do because you, and when you need it, you will want to be able to do it. Right. You know, the thing is when to do it, when not to do it. That to me is the key. You mm -hmm. should have like this amazing, powerful technique at your disposal, but you should only use it. You should be like a superhero, you know, right. <laughs> you right. powers when you, when you have to. Right, right. The rest of the time, you should just be there to serve humanity, which mm -hmm. in this case would be mu music. You know? Right. You know, I... I, I remember a quote that I heard uh, Daniel Glass told me. He's like, you know, you kind of want to be the guy. You don't want to be the Pinto driving down the street maxed out with your floor, your foot on the gas all the way to the floor. You want to be the Ferrari doing 65, where if you need to step on the gas, you can. But most of the time, you're just you're just cruising along and you're not maxed out, you know. So I agree with the, you know, you got to have the facility. You got to have it there to yeah. use. But. And also, technique is just, is not just to play fast, you know. Right. Technique is used to 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 extract the best sound possible from the drums, mm -hmm. and to have the best uh, feel, and to have the best uh, time. I mean, all, all of that. Because if technique is getting in the way of what you're trying to do, your time is going to suffer, your touch is going to suffer, your sound is going to suffer. Right. So, right. So technique is not all about just just being fast. Sure. I remember when I was younger playing and you know i'm thinking man this this feels good it sounds good and then one of my mentors would hear me play and he's like nah man you don't you don't sound you don't sound like you're playing music you just sound like you're playing drums so i'm gonna i'll put this question to you and this is sort of a deep question so it may be a little tough to answer but like what's your what's your advice for people who think they sound like they're playing musically but it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know kind of thing you know, and you're like, oh, man, I, I thought I sounded hip. And you're like, no, you didn't at all. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I always say that uh, the dangerous thing is not to be mediocre, but to be mediocre thinking that you're good. Right. Uh, because if you know that you have a lot of stuff to work on, then just work on it. Mm -hmm. uh, the bad thing is when you think you have it all together and you don't. So I always say you have to compare yourselves to the gods. You know, don't right. come, don't compare yourselves to the mortals, because mm -hmm. that's that's not a good way to start. If you want to really as, end up as being one one uh, to that people will look up to, then you have to start looking up to the real people that have influenced this instrument, that changed the instrument, that uh, that people have always used as reference. You know, so and those are very easy to identify are the guys recording all the cds or all the lps and you know appearing on um, dvds and blu-rays and uh, on tv i mean those the guys that are working a lot right and, and a lot of times it's not the guys doing a lot of the clinics because 
um, a lot of time, the busiest guys on the business don't have the time to do clinics. Right. Because right. they're working, playing music. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's another thing to think about. And, and of course, I can't generalize because there's amazing musicians doing clinics as well. Right, right. Um, but a lot of the people that kids come to see at, at drum events maybe are not incredibly qualified to talk about music. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sort of saying, but... No, that's... It was, just, I, I, it was an I've eloquent way myself, of saying it. <laughs> you know? and, and the thing is... Uh, like every time I do a clinic, I, I really emphasize music, music, music. You know, let's, yeah, let's play fast. Let's play fancy whenever it's appropriate. And we're not, you know, let, let's see what else we can do. Mm-hmm. And most of the time at the end, that's what people come and, and compliment me about. They're like, man, I really got a lot out of this clinic. Stuff that I can bring immediately to the practice room and, and try to fool with. Right. Instead of talking about groupings of sevens and nines and thirteens and polyrhythms and all this stuff that maybe a couple of people will get it, but probably a lot of people won't. That's mostly for all the drummers in the room. When you know, if you're at a gig, or I mean, I don't think I've ever played that stuff at a gig, but like, if I did, I would say, okay, which drummer out there in the audience knew what I just played? Because everybody else is just kind of going to look at you. And, yeah, you know. and and the thing is, to me. The emphasis, okay, what are you going to communicate to the audience and mm-hmm. how are you going to do it? So, um, like, I, I talk about soloing and improvisation, right? So I talk a lot about uh, motivic development, how to tell a story. Because, you know, I, I always give this example too. You know, I'm talking about soloing on the drums and then scrambled eggs and, and movies in the afternoon. You know? Right. <laughs> it's like, what the hell did you say? So music can be the same way. If you're talking about something by playing an idea and then you, you move to a completely different unrelated idea, it's like if you're talking about soloing and then eggs. So I want to be able to tell a story when I play. So the way to do that is, okay, I play a motif or an idea, I leave space, and then I think, what would I like to hear next? Right. You know, how how that, what I just said relates to what I'm about to say again. And, and repetition is key. Leaving space is key. Uh, patience is key. Dynamics are key. Uh, because it's, it's like human language. Sure. You know, when we're talking, we're using inflection. We're using um, uh, dots and commas and periods and exclamation marks and, uh, you know, question marks. Uh, so all these things, you should be able to do musically as well. And that's what makes it sound like a language and makes it sound like something the audience can relate to and something I can relate to when I'm saying it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest problem that, that most people have is connecting those dots. You know, like you had mentioned, you start to play a motif and then you're going to, you're going to start to add some things to that, to what you're saying, add that to the conversation mm-hmm. that ties into what you're, you're already talking about. And I think, I think there's sort of a disconnect for some players, maybe younger players especially, that don't really understand how to piece those things together and how to really start and you know start an idea and arrive at a, at the end of this idea three minutes later and make it right. one cohesive thing. Exactly, but it's not that hard. That's the thing. It's not that hard, but nobody. Or, or I wouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't talk about it uh, right. in clinics. Where is where you go to for information, you know? But you should go to a clinic 
and that's fine. But you should definitely check out the source, which is the albums, the recordings, mm -hmm. you know, and you uh, go to YouTube and see how it's done. You know, the, the music tells the truth. And, and, you know, people that have been around for a long time or that are no longer with us that did it for a long time, those are the guys to check out because those are the guys who, who uh, you know, we all agree knew how to tell their story. Right. Music. So, uh, you know, that, that the truth is, is in the, in the um, albums, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always told students of mine, this, I just say, listen, go grab a melody, whatever melody it is. Mary had a little lamb or something like that. And just try to play that around the kit because, you know, a lot of times you'll see people soloing and they're sort of thinking, okay, what am I going to play next? All right, I'll play my lick and then I'll mm -hmm. play my other lick and then I'll play. And then if it goes on too long, it's like, uh, now I'm out of ideas. Maybe I'll play the, my my lick again. But if you take even, you know, Mary had a little lamb. You're you're not running out of ideas because you're playing. You're not playing licks. You're playing musically. And I think that's an easy gateway of getting, you know, into something like take the A train or something. You know, absolutely no. And and I I talk about that a lot. And I uh, call it the random line concept, which is a game that I used to play with my mother um, when I was a kid that you have two players and a blank sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. So the first player draws a random line, really without thinking, just by reflex, a continuous random line. Uh, it could be curved, could be straight, anything you want. The, the trick is for it to be random. And then you give it to the next player, and then the next player has to look at it, turn it around, flip it around, see what it could become. And then you grab the pencil, and finish it and put a couple of wheels over here and then all of a sudden you have a little car you know it's a really mm. simple game but it speaks volumes about how from nothing something was created so what i always tell in uh, kids in the clinics too is like okay you can literally throw anything on the drums anything without thinking but you know don't think just throw it and then stop the trick is to remember what you just played right so Stop for a second, repeat it. Stop for a second, play it softer. Stop for a second, play it louder. Play it slower. Play it faster. You know, all these things that all of a sudden you realize that you're committing to that motif, to that idea. And when you do that is when you start talking about the same thing and you start telling a story. First, you have to commit to what you just played. If you say something and then all of a sudden you change your mind and start talking about something else that's when everybody looks at you weird funny in the room you know when you're talking mm -hmm. to people but when you're playing that's a very common thing you know your hands play before your brain thinks and uh and that's the advice that i try to give uh people you know don't let that happen think and then or or or, or play something and then think and then see what that can become. That random line. How can you become? How can you make it become into something tangible and concrete? That just gave. I, I got chills. I got you know it because you can feel one. You can feel. I can feel talking to you the intensity of of what you're saying, and the way that I know that you think that way and approach things that way, and knowing that it's a very it's a simple concept. You know, of just taking this this small thing and saying, okay. And it's such a hard thing to sit down and play a line and then repeat it. Like you said, it's not as yeah. easy as people think it is. Oh no, it's you know. way harder. But the thing is, it's a very simple thing that you have to think uh, that you have to change mentally. It's mm -hmm. just a mental switch. 
And that, that can change your playing for life because I've known many, many very, very proficient musicians in all instruments that never really quite tell a story, never really quite say anything interesting enough mm -hmm. for them to become artists, right. you know, because you can be a, a great craftsman, you know, in your instrument and know how to play all kinds of styles and comp for this and, you know, accompany singers and play for, you know, you can do all kinds of things, be very accomplished and work a lot. And, and be musical to a certain extent. But what I'm talking about is the, the next level, you know, really trying to tell a story, try to tell a cohesive uh, story and, and become an artist, not just a musician. You know? Right, right, right. And, and uh, when you talk about uh, Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and Keith Jarrett and Pat Metheny, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Short, all those guys uh, surpass just being musicians. You know, they're mm -hmm. artists, they're right. thinkers. And, uh, and they're conceptualists. And, and that's what I want to be. You know, I, I, I want to be one of those guys. I think you are. If you're not there already, you are well on your way, my friend. I can... Well, I'm certainly trying every day, man. So who are some of the cats that, you, that you're listening to now that, that you think fit this mold of, of playing really musically and, and telling a story? Um, you know, for this kind of stuff, I haven't listened to to drummers that much i actually mm -hmm. draw my inspiration more from other instrumentalists because they are the ones that usually you know if you if you play lines like i listen to saxophone players a lot or guitar mm -hmm. players people that uh, but piano players too but people that play single line melodies you know that is really really helpful to really understand charlie parker of course you know one of the geniuses of that uh how to you know, develop an idea and keep going with it. Mm -hmm. And and I've done workshops with, uh, you know, small combos and stuff like that where there's a quintet playing and uh, they start playing a standard and everybody's playing just the same tired, regurgitated stuff that is not even that happening. Right, all right. And immediately I stop them. Like, you know, okay, we're going to play a blues and you're going to play one idea for 12 bars. And they look at me like I'm speaking Chinese. You know? <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, after half an hour of trying it, they're way more musical than they've been their whole lives, probably. And right. it's just, it's not because I showed them this incredible secret that nobody knows. It's, it's just, okay, just organize your thoughts a little bit. That's it. You know, it, it gives your playing a sense of organization. That's mm -hmm. what it is. If you're hip to what's going on in the drum world, as far as microphones are concerned, you know that Earthworks are all the rage and for good reason. And particularly what I think is cool is this DK7 drum kit system that they have. This is a complete system to mic your drum kit and to sound amazing. Let me tell you quickly what this kit features. It has four DM20 small diaphragm cardioid condensers for toms and snare drums. It has two SR25 small diaphragm cardioid condensers for overheads. It has one SR20 LS small diaphragm cardioid for your bass drum. And then it also has rim mounts for the mics. It has windscreens. It has microphone clips. It has everything you need to set up your kit 
and to sound amazing. And the best part is you can get this at sweetwater.com. And if you call Sweetwater, you can talk to a sales engineer who can answer all of your questions and make sure that you're getting the right products that you need. They have fast free shipping, US-based tech support, and a two-year warranty on everything that they sell. I've been dealing with them for more than 20 years, and I think that you should too. So check out the Earthworks DK7 drum kit system at sweetwater.com. Have you checked out the new Maximus snare drum from Mapex? Designed by Jeff Hamilton with a nod to the traditions of jazz greats, the Maximus has the sound and feel of a vintage drum built with modern precision and articulation. Made from a six inch deep, 100% mahogany shell, it's outfitted with a special snare bed for the execution of the most dynamic playing. It's a choice for a warm, big sound with the ability to whisper in the most delicate small group settings. Tradition meets modern voice, the Maximus is a commanding instrument for all forms of playing. To check out the Maximus and the rest of the Black Panther Design Lab series, check out mapexdrums.com. Well, I think a lot of people that I've seen, they get in the trap of they don't feel like their playing is as hip as it should be. So they're like, oh, I got to practice more styles and I got to practice, you know, I got to learn more fancy stuff and I got to learn all this, you know, all these crazy fills and all that stuff when it's like, man, you learn some melodies with the facility that you already have and you're probably pretty happening as it is. Yeah, but that's where the the artistry part of it comes into play, I think. You have mm-hmm. to believe Okay, if I want to be an artist, am I more worried about impressing other kids uh, that play drums? Or am I more interested in saying something meaningful, even if it's just with a few words? Sure. Should be like a poet, you know, instead of somebody that's just babbling all this stuff. You know, maybe just say, you know, a couple of paragraphs, but man, make those paragraphs mean Mm -hmm. something, you know? And, and, And I think that's a lot harder than playing a million notes uh, per second and, and impressing a bunch of, uh, kids, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I totally agree, man. So I got to ask you've, you've accomplished all this stuff. I mean, you've won Grammy awards and been on the cover of modern drummer twice and you've done all of these things. So what's next for you? What do you see the future holding and what are some things that, that you still uh, would like to accomplish? Well, so right now is, is my biggest, uh, challenge ever. I think when I'm trying to step full time into the band leading you know realm uh, because you know as band, as as sidemen uh, we get so used to that life and that you're just sitting by the computer nowadays waiting for the email like oh man can you do this and can you do that um, and that was really great for many years and and I learned so much by playing with all these masters that I've been able to play with but also from playing with so many people I started realizing mm, there's a lot of things that I love about all these people. And then there's a lot of things that I don't agree with, mm-hmm. even, even with the masters, you know, because they have their own vision and that's why they're masters. Uh, but the fact that they, they have their own vision and it's so um, clear also makes it very clear for me, like, okay, which of those things I, I don't want for, for my own band or for right. my own project. Right. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, sometimes you play with people who are incredibly accomplished, like, you know, great, great, great artists. And, you know, you play the first tune and then 
we don't know what we're going to play of second tune. And right. then we start figuring it out on stage. And there's a lot of shuffling of, uh, you know, parts and <laughs> charts. And then, uh, oh, somebody can't find the right one. So, okay, let's play the other one instead. You know, that kind of stuff, I, I just I just can't stand, you know. Right. I, I, I feel like I have too much respect for the audience to, to do something like that to them. Uh, or, you know, amazing artists as well that, um, I don't know, talk to the audience after each single tune. You know, it's, it's just the way they do it, and that's right, fine. Right, right, right. You know? But I, I don't want to do it that way. So the more and more I, I was playing with people, the more I would feel a little more, uh, a little unhappy on stage. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I'll be like, no, man, that, that I, I really wouldn't do it that way. Right. And, and of course, who, who am I to say what's right and what's wrong? It's right. just what I would like to do. Uh-huh. Now, if it's your um, band, it's guys yeah, that you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So what I want to, to do with my band is to, uh, you know, make people just go back home and saying like, what the hell would you see that was, that was, you know, an experience, you know, right. I want it to be an experience and uh, an experience. It's not really, or an event. I don't think it, it depends on how big your PA is and how many screens you have behind you and how many lights, you know, because uh, obviously pop music relies heavily on that instead of the music, mm-hmm. you know? So I want to rely heavily on the music, but I want to have, a huge impact on the crowd. Right. And, and I've learned that a lot from, from Matheny because he is really uh, keen on trying to provide a show, you know, for, for his audience. Right. And he does, does it in a completely musical way. He's not messing around, uh, but it provides a different kick in the guts, you know, than <laughs> if you're just kind of shuffling through music and figuring what you're going to play. Sure. You know? So uh, as a band leader, I want to have that kind of impact on the audience, but there's many challenges, you know. First of all, I've always been known as a sideman. Uh, I, I was known for most of the, of the time for playing with Pat. And then this Birdman thing came along and kind of catapulted me into a, a different realm, thankfully. And I, luckily, I was working on two albums at the time. One was uh, Three Times Three which is a, a special all-star project that I wanted to do where I would pay tribute to uh, my favorite kind of trio playing, which is piano trio, guitar trio, and saxophone trio. Nice. So, so I enlisted you know, people that I had either played with a little bit, but I wanted to play more, people that I had played with a lot, but I, I mean, completely in all, all of them still, mm-hmm. or people that I had never played with. So uh, for who, the first... Can- who are those yeah. inspirations, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, who who's in the album? Well, you were saying that it was you know saxophone trios, guitar trios, well, and piano trios that 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 were inspired your inspirations of yours. Yeah, well, you know the the Keith Jarrett piano trio mm-hmm. has always been an inspiration with, of course, Jack DeJunet on drums yep. and, and Gary Peacock on bass, uh, saxophone. <coughs> Well, it was, it was not, well, I mean, Sonny Rollins mm-hmm. uh, playing the saxophone trio has always been like unbelievable. And, uh, and of course, you know, the saxophone has always been uh, something that it, it just, I feel it in, in my gut. You know, I just mm-hmm. love tenor saxophone, especially and with the Coltrane. Right. And, um, uh, that relationship between Coltrane and, and Elvin, you know, will forever be, 
something that that we will all uh, regard as as a, uh, as where the bar was set. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge huge inspiration for that. And then uh, you know West Montgomery, mm-hmm. of course. I love West um, Montgomery. Um, but I, I always loved uh, you know Pat, of course, John McLaughlin, uh, of course, uh, Jim Hall. Mm-hmm. So there, there's not a shortage of inspiration in either uh, right. those contexts. So I wanted to pay, pay tribute to to those settings. So for the first trio, I had Brad Meldow and uh, Matt Brewer, who's uh, Matt has been playing in my band for a while now. Then for the second trio, I had John Schofield and Christian McBride. And then for the f- third trio, Joe Lovano and John Patitucci. Awesome. So I, I, uh, there were three tunes each. Uh, that's why it's called Three Times Three. And uh, two originals and one standard, each one. Uh, so that was the first record that I had already in the oven. And then the other one I started writing last year, and is the Meridian Suite, which is the, the last one that I put out. And that's with my band Migration. And this is uh, what I consider my most ambitious project uh, to mm-hmm. date because it's a uh, uh, 56 minute long composition from beginning to end. Wow. It's divided into five different sections uh, because it's uh, you know for practical purposes, but it's meant to be played and listened to as a whole. It's one story. And it was my humble attempt at trying to write a musical novel instead of short stories, right? You know, which is usually what you do in an album. You write eight or nine tunes, and each one lasts between five and ten minutes, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do is, okay, what would happen if I don't worry about time? What would happen if I don't worry about um, style? Just write. See what happens. You know, don't worry if it's acoustic. Don't worry if it's electric. Just keep writing. And uh, and this proved to be like an amazing thing for me as a composer because I was able to uh, bring in most of the influences that I've had through my life. You know, starting mm-hmm. from rock, fusion, uh, Latin music, free jazz, uh, swing, uh, electric, and acoustic, all within the same composition. But because it's what we were talking about, right? Storytelling. It's right, because right. I'm trying to tell a, a story from beginning to end, then I was able to, I feel like I was able to get away with all these things in a musical way. So luckily, I had those two things in the oven, and then when Birdman hit, these things were ready to go. So I put them out, and that helped me a lot to to start getting more gigs mm-hmm. um, for people to, you know, whenever they hear my name now, they 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 think of me in a different way. And and but I want to solidify that. Uh, and I want people to to really remember me for that, you know, as my qualities as a composer and as a band leader. Because sure. I think like, like I I already proved myself enough as a sideman. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's it's cool because it's a it's new frontier for you, and it's sort of turning the page, and and you know, it's a whole it's like a brand a brand new thing for you, a new beginning, which is cool. You know, of, of sort of, oh, re- yeah. of reinventing yourself and, and going into some uncharted water. So I applaud you for that. It's a lot easier to just, you know, keep doing what you were doing. So And it, it, I got to tell you, it's scary as hell, you yeah. know, because now I'm really, you know, I'm the employer. So it's like if you're mm-hmm. open, uh, your new business, uh, you sometimes you're going to break even, sometimes you're going to lose, sometimes you're going to make. So, uh, but it's all part of uh, if you believe in your products and mm-hmm. my product is my music and my playing and and my band and and i really believe that we kick ass and and every time we play 
that's what we want to do. We want to kick ass mm-hmm. so that, um, you know, we will get reelected to come right. back this year and, 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 and play again. You know, it, it's basically, I like, yeah. <laughs> I like how I like the comparison to business because I preach a lot on the podcast about, you know, this, this is a business too. And you have to keep that in mind that if you want to do this professionally, you got to pay your bills. You have to, you know, you have to run it like a business rather than as a hobby. That's cool. If you want to have a day gig and do this as a hobby as well, but if you're going to do it full time, it's, a, it's a business, whether you're, you know, just because you're playing drums, it's still a business. So, oh yeah, and it's a hard day. business, man. It's a really it is. hard business. And uh, what started happening to me as a sideman is that, you know, first of all, I started running out of people to uh, to play with in terms of what I, who I really, really, really wanted to play with. You know, I got to play with probably 90% of the people that I really, really wanted to play with. Right. Uh, which, you know, when I look at it, like, wow, that's unbelievable. That's, that's you know? yeah, beyond impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's not a matter of impressive or not. It's just incredible that I got to do it and that this guy from Mexico, you know, all of a sudden was playing jazz and ended up playing with these guys, you know. So to me, that's, that's um, you know, what... what all those people were on my bucket list, you know, I was able to scratch out. And and I, I wanted to play with them because I love their playing, not because like, oh, I mean, let's see who's famous. That I right, right, right. It's really because they're unbelievable musicians and I wanted to see what it felt like, you know, what it would feel like to to play with them. And of course, you know, you're never disappointed when you play with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that started happening is okay. I, I, who do I want to play with that I haven't? And and I started saying to myself, well, it's not really that many people, uh, and I'm really getting the itch to write music. And also, you know, if I'm gonna bust my ass traveling all over the world, uh, in you know, and under probably not the best circumstances, who do I want to do it with? Do I want to do it with with you know, some guy that called me and that I'm, yeah, I mean, could be a great musician, but uh, am I really learning anything, you know, amazing? And and I thought, you know, I think if I'm going to bust my ass that way, I'd rather do it with my own music. And also, you know, there's all these kids that I was one of them, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was super hungry, that was not charging, you know, much money to to play and to tour the world, which you should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm in my early 40s, so I don't want to be traveling the world for not that much bread. And if I do, then it's going to be with my band. Right. You know, so that's the a very conscious decision that I had to make. And it, like I said, it's scary as hell. But um, I always believe that in, if you believe in your product and in yourself and, and what you're trying to do, then uh, people are going to react. You know? Mm-hmm. And react, they will. And I love, you know, we mentioned the comparison of business of saying, you know, if I, if you start your own business, I don't mind working for my own business and not making any money, but I'm not going to go, exactly. I don't want to do it for somebody else because I, at least at the end of the day, it's for, for me and it's going to benefit me in the future, man. So I, I applaud you for, for taking that, for taking that next step. Thank you. Yeah. It's an investment. You know? Yeah, and, it totally and is. It, it, and it's not for everybody. Definitely not. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong if it's not for you. Right. Absolutely nothing wrong. If you want to be a Simon all your life, that that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, you know, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm guessing I don't have uh, children, but I'm guessing like having a baby, you know, you, you feel like, okay, I think I'm ready for this. Right. 
Right. You know, the, the time came and, and, and I'm uh, luckily it coincided with Birdman and, and I'm trying to take it to the next level. Sure. Sure. And, you know, the uh, I just lo- totally lost track of what I was going to say. We were talking about babies <laughs> and I got scared <laughs> about having a baby and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And oh, the one thing I was going to say, forgive me, uh, the you know, I've done over 130 of these interviews. And one of the things that I've pulled out of all of these interviews is there's no one way to get there and there's no one way to do things. And, you know, it's it's okay to do your own thing. Like you said, if you want to be a side man, be a side man. If you never want to tour, then don't tour. You know, if you want to do it, have a day gig and do this on the weekend, do that. It's sort of like it's it's your life and you can do whatever you want to do so not necessarily whatever you know whatever you're doing is going to work for the next person whatever i'm doing what i do wouldn't work for you so absolutely interesting you know no matter how much how successful you are you can only tell your own story Mm -hmm. you know so when people ask you you know okay this is what i did and this is how i did it hope that some of it will work for you Mm -hmm. but it's not a guarantee and and also you know when i started in this business, it was over 20 years ago. So, you know, the realities of our business are completely different now. Like, like they're different, like when Pat Metheny started, you know, and, the, and he would be able to tour 300 days out of the year. Now, those realities are not in place anymore. Mm-hmm. So we have to keep adapting all the time to our new realities, which, by the way, are incredibly, you know, changing, uh, are changing incredibly violently. You know, yeah. um, with uh, the music industry, with social media, all this thing that, I mean, sometimes I'm like, wow, I don't even know how to approach uh, this anymore. Right. But uh, you, you just have to keep adapting and reinvent, reinventing yourself and hopefully you'll, you'll land with uh, your two feet. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. So listen, I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to ask you if, if do you teach privately and is there, do, do you have private students in New York or no? I don't. I, no. I, you know, I'm I'm touring so much nowadays. I I've done a little bit, but um, lately, uh, the little time that I have at home, I I'm trying to use it to, uh, for a composition. Sure. So because sense. now, when when you're in the band leading uh, chair, you you have to start thinking about the next project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ability to tour is going to depend on the music that you put out and how many records you're going to be putting out. Mm-hmm. So a lot of promoters don't want your band if you don't have a new record to promote. Right, right. So, so that's that's now one more thing that you have to think about, uh, that I have to think about at right. least. And when am I going to release it? And when am I going to want to tour again? And um, you know, it's 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 quite difficult, but uh, but I'm also enjoying the hell out of it. That's great, man. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. So, if people want to learn more about you, where's the best place to to connect with you on social and your website? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to do a little bit of everything. Uh, I have my website, AntonioSanchez.net, mm-hmm. or that's where the meat of the information is. But I'm uh, updating, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, I try to do it on a daily basis. <laughs> it's overwhelming sometimes. It is. Uh, but it's also, I have to, um, you know, admit that it's a very powerful uh, tool. Mm-hmm. for us musicians to promote ourselves and to uh, let other people know about what we're doing. Yeah. I'm actually doing a, a webinar tonight about it, uh, about the, the changing landscape of the music industry and drums and drumming and how it affects everybody with social media and, and all that stuff. So I, I actually 
do courses on it to just try to help everybody understand the landscape of how to use all yeah. of those tools because it is man it's it's a little it's, it's overwhelming yeah. uh, it's it's uh, disorienting and, and mm-hmm. disconcerting if, if you haven't done it before especially you know for people i mean i you know at my age i think how old are you i'm uh how old am i 34 yeah so i i'm 43 so i you know we we still know what it was like without internet yeah but uh, but people that are you know a couple of generations after us, um, that are older, you know they 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 might really have a hard time, you know, just knowing how to approach things. Yeah, and how to adapt. I mean, mo- a lot of people that can they hire people to do. Yeah, yeah. but I, but I think it's interesting uh, to have a direct uh, dialogue with your fans. You I know think what? it's great, man. I yeah. and I think that more people should be taking advantage of it, honestly, because the power in that, like if people know, you know, like if they know that it's you responding to them and know that they're talking to you and not like your assistant or, you know, someone that you hired to do it, I think that is extremely powerful and builds so much rapport with the fans that when you see them at the club, they already feel like they know you and there's just that much more of a connection. I think it's right. I I feel it can also go a little overboard uh, with the self-promotion and uh, with just the okay i have to post something every hour let me see right. what i can think of I, i'm i'm not at that level i can't right. do it I, I can't get myself to do it but if i have a gig or something interesting to say I, i'll i'll put it there and right. hopefully people will see it <laughs> well cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you won't see posts every day from them but i i strongly and, suggest everyone goes and connects with you on social checks out your website and and you will not see any post about food that I promise you, you will not no see what I'm picks. eating or what I'm drinking. There you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not following you then. That's all I was. I was hoping to see like what you what your diet was like. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people make uh, their it seems like they make their careers based on that, but yeah, no, I, I'm not one of them. <laughs> all right. Well, Antonio, thank you so much for for spending all the time to chat with me, man. Like I said, I've been trying to get you on here for a while. I know the audience has been dying to get. To, for me to get you on here so it's been an absolute pleasure i appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today man oh thank you nick great great questions man and and uh you know big up for uh, for your podcast and, and we need more of that stuff for sure well thank you man and anytime you want to come back man the the floor is always open for you so appreciate it brother all right thanks again all right take care man. all right bye-bye There you have it, the one and only Mr. Antonio Sanchez. You can find all the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 642. And if you dig the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.